Thank you for that song. That was that was a lot of fun. I was uh, actually thinking about as you were singing that so joyfully that our calling is, as it's been said, to be standing on the promises, not just sitting on the premises. <laughs> our scripture today will come from Acts chapter 10. We'll be reading several verses of scripture. I debated on shortening, shortening this, the reading, but there is something about reading God's word in the house of God. And while you're turning, I do want to say thank you to all of you for the cards, phone calls, emails, texts, um, other ways of love and support that you all have offered our family over the last week with my father. So thank you very much for your prayers there. And I will not say anything more or it will become a mess. So Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Beginning of verse 1, where Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, writes. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open. And something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, when Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision that the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up and go down. Go with them without hesitation, for I've sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. 
The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with him and went in, he found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now, all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. You know the message that He sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. We are witnesses to all that He did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree. But God raised Him on the third day and allowed Him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It has been amazing to watch what God has been doing in and through the church with the power of the Holy Spirit since we began this series in Acts. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, we actually witnessed the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on the disciples. These were people who earlier had been terrified behind locked doors. 
It was Peter who just earlier had denied Jesus three times. But now that they've received this power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly they became bold witnesses and evangelists for what God is doing. We watched as the gospel went down to Samaria. Samaritans were despised and hated. They were the Jews who over the years had intermarried with the Assyrians and so they they were no longer considered to be pure and and they were considered to be traitors to to what God had wanted them to do. They They were not respected at all by the other Jews. But they received the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And the church began to spread even more. Then we witnessed as an Ethiopian had had made the long journey up through Egypt and and, and all the way up to Jerusalem to worship God and and was now heading back. And God told Philip, "Go, go talk to him. And when Philip approached, he was reading Isaiah. And Philip goes, do you understand what you're reading? And he goes, how can I unless somebody explains it? And Philip explained it. Then they found water and... The Ethiopian said, what's to keep me from being baptized? And he accepted Jesus Christ and was baptized and took the gospel then into Africa. And then we watched as Saul, the great persecutor of the church, Saul, the one feared by all Christians, had an encounter with the risen Christ and all of a sudden he becomes the apostle Paul. And now we watch as the gospel of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit goes to the Gentiles. The Gentiles. The unbelievers. The outsiders. The pagans. The heathens. That's who now receives the gospel. And we hear the message about a man by the name of Cornelius. Why did it have to be Cornelius? Of all people, why did it have to be Cornelius? Cornelius was a member of the Roman army. During this time, Israel is held captive by the Roman government. Imagine if how in just just a few minutes from now when when we're done and and you go out to have your lunch, if you're riding down the road and you saw army vehicles all around, but it wasn't your army, not your soldiers. No, it it was soldiers from a foreign government that was occupying your land. Imagine how you would feel. Cornelius... Cornelius was a member of the the Roman army that's occupying Israel. Not only that, he's an officer in the army. You see, the the Roman army had legions, which had about 6,000 people in it. And then under each legion, there were cohorts that had about 600 people under it. And and under each cohort, there were companies or centuries that had around 100 soldiers in it. And and, and we're told that he's a centurion, which means he's an officer over one of those groups of 100. But we're also told he was a devout man. Somehow this Roman officer had heard about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. Somehow he had heard about this God that the Jews worshipped and, and he had begun to worship this God himself. We're told that he was a faithful man, that he, that he gave alms as well, that he recognized that, that when we give our offerings, it's, it's not just a little something that we do and give God a, a little what's left over. You have changed for a five on you. But rather, it was, it was an act of worship, an act of praise. It was, it was a spirit of thanksgiving. It was participating in the kingdom of God. He gave his alms generously and he prayed constantly. 
Luke says it's about three o'clock in the afternoon that he went up to pray. Now there's a lot of things in here if you read too fast you'll miss because when, when Luke says it was three o'clock in the afternoon, he wasn't saying it was middle of the afternoon, say uh, 2.30, quarter to three. It was probably around three. Mm-mm. Three was the time of prayer for the devout Jew. So even though this Roman soldier is not a Jew, he's still following the law of God and at three o'clock, the time of prayer, he goes to pray. And while he's praying, he has a vision. And Luke says he clearly saw. So make sure that, you know, this, you didn't really see. He clearly saw. Luke said he clearly saw it. And so he shares. He goes, you need to send down to Joppa. You need to send down because Simon Peter happens to be staying there with a man named Simon who's a tanner. And so send your people there and have them to bring Simon Peter back up to you so that you can hear what he has to say. And so he calls his people together and he sends them to go to Joppa. Now the next day, we're told, it was around noon. Another time of prayer, Peter goes up onto the roof to pray. It's also noon, so he's a little bit hungry. So while lunch is being prepared, he he goes up on the roof to pray and he kind of goes into a trance. And Luke says that the heavens was opened. Don't read too fast. You've heard it before. When Jesus was baptized, we're told that the heaven was opened and the Spirit of God descended in bodily form like a dove. That's a way of telling you this is a God thing. Pay attention to what God is doing. God just set Cornelius up. You need to go and and send for Peter. And now he's setting Peter up. You need to pay attention. This is a God thing. And all of a sudden from heaven, lowering down is a large sheet by its four corners. Now why does Luke tell us that? Why did you say there was a sheet being lowered down? But it's being lowered down by the four corners. Why did it have to be a square sheet to start with? I mean, after all, over at the Family Life Center, we have round tables. I prefer round tables. You can see people better when you sit at a round table. wonder why it wasn't a round sheet. Well, we're told this for a reason. In Scripture, especially when we get to Revelation and other Scriptures, when you hear something coming from the four corners of the four ends of the earth, it's a way of saying the north, east, south, and west. In other words, it stretches in all generations to be inclusive of of all parts. It's intentional. The sheet's being lowered down, and and on it there are all kinds of creatures, hoofed creatures, and, and, and there are reptiles, and there are birds, and, and, and God says to Peter, Peter, get up, kill it, eat. You said you were hungry. Peter goes, oh, this is a test. Because he's a devout Jew. And he knew in Leviticus chapter 11, there were food laws. There were some foods that were considered to be clean, and there were other foods that were considered to be unclean. You could eat the clean, you were not supposed to eat the unclean. And and just some trivia for you, that's one of the reasons when Noah put the animals on the ark, there were seven of the clean and two of the unclean. That way you could eat some of the clean and still have enough for them to multiply. It wasn't just two of each kind, in case you ever wondered. So get up and, and kill and eat. And, and Peter's going, oh, no, 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 no. I'm devout. I have never, I have never eaten anything profane or unclean. And in verse 15, God says, but what God has made clean, you must not call unclean or profane. 
And it happens three times. Why did Luke tell you it happens three times? It, it happens three times so that you'll know that it wasn't. Man, I, I thought I had this dream. Woo! I had a dream. It, it wasn't real though. It was just happened two times. Oh, this is getting real. Happened three times? All right, it happened. It's real. This really occurred. It, it, it confirms. And, and Peter's puzzled. We're told that he's scratching his head going, what does this really mean? I mean, what, what is this all about? Why is God choosing, changing the dietary laws all of a sudden? Why is God telling me to eat this? I don't understand what's really going on here. And, and while he's thinking about it, and while he's puzzled, Luke says, then these men arrive that Cornelius had sent, and God says to Peter, hey, the guys are here. I sent them to you. Go down to them and go with them without hesitation. So Peter goes down and, and he says, you know, I'm the guy you're looking for. And, and they tell him about Cornelius and his vision. And, and then Peter does the strangest thing. He invites them in. He invites them in and he gives them lodging. And you go, that's not so strange. We're from the South. I mean, that's called hospitality. Southern hospitality. That's what we do around here. Somebody comes to your home, what do you do? You invite them in. When you invite them in, what's the first thing that you ask? Can I get you something to drink? And, and that means in the South, sweet tea. Can I get you something to drink? Can, can I get you something to eat? If we have cake, you get some cake. If we have pie, you get some pie. And on those occasions, when you drop by and we didn't have anything, we're so embarrassed, we're going, I am so sorry. Had I known you were coming, I would have gone and got something. And I, I don't have anything to offer you. How about a Ritz cracker? I do have Ritz crackers. I mean, we, we get kind of embarrassed because we want it. Peter does that. It's strange here. You want to know why? They're Gentiles. He's a Jew. Jews and Gentiles. You don't do that. And in biblical times, if you ate with somebody, it means more than when we eat with somebody today. In biblical times, if you ate with somebody, it means you accept them. It means you embrace them. It means you acknowledge them. And so to invite them in, he's breaking all kinds of customs. Well, Jesus got in trouble for that. Remember the, the accusation against Jesus? He eats with sinners. We don't do that. But Peter did. He invited them in and actually gave them lodging in their home. The next day, they, they head to Caesarea. When they get there, Cornelius is ready. And Cornelius can teach us a thing or two about evangelism. Because Cornelius knew that Peter was coming to proclaim Jesus. So what did he do? He didn't simply clean the house so that he could be there all by himself. He invited his family. He invited his friends. I mean, did you catch what he did? Cornelius knowing that God is about to do something new because God revealed to me that Peter is going to come and explain to us about this Jesus Christ. I want all my family. Y'all come. I want all my friends. Y'all come. He wanted everybody around him because this is too important for you to miss out on. Cornelius, the Gentile. And teach us about evangelism and making sure the people we love hear the good news of Jesus Christ. When Peter arrives, Cornelius drops to his feet and he, he starts to worship Peter and Peter says, no, 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 it's not about me. I'm just a man. And Peter gets up and he talks to him and, and then he goes in and he sees all these people that are assembled there and, and then Peter has his aha moment. He says in verse 28, you yourselves know 
that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. I mean, his aha moment is, earlier he was going, what is this whole thing about the sheep? I don't get why. Is he talking to me about eating the clean and unclean and what God calls clean I should not call profane? What does all this mean? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I get it. It wasn't just about what we eat. God was talking about people. And so he says, but God has shown me I should not call anyone profane or unclean. It's his aha moment. Because then he goes on to say in verse 34, he, he's, he goes, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Now, I think it's important when you read the scripture and putting it in the context that you not go that Peter stands up and says, I truly understand that God shows. It wasn't that kind. This is Peter having an aha moment. This is Peter going, I truly understand. I get it. I get it. God shows no partiality. This is Peter getting it. This is Peter hearing, but but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. It's Peter's aha moment. I get it. And he begins to proclaim the gospel to them because he realizes this is as much for you as it was for me. Jesus is Lord of all. That includes you. And he tells the message of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 43 he goes, and all the prophets testify him that, that everyone who believes in him Receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It reminds you of what Jesus said to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world. Not just Jerusalem. Not just the Jews. Not just Weddington. Not just North Carolina. Not just the United States of America. God so loves the world. Huh. I get it. And while he's preaching, we're told that that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles. Many scholars call this Pentecost 2. Because in Acts 2, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples in Jerusalem and the message spreads there. and, And now the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. And they begin to praise God. So Peter goes, how in the world can we help but baptize these people? So they're baptized. Well, it sounds like a great ending to the story, but it's not really that way because if you turn over to chapter 11, but I I, I didn't figure we could just keep on going. But if you turn over to chapter 11, when Peter, after he stayed there several days, he goes goes back to Jerusalem. And, And what happens when he runs into the other disciples? They look at him and go, what were you thinking? What were you thinking going down there to eat with those people? They're the Gentiles. What were you thinking doing that? I mean, they're really upset. And Peter has to defend himself. And he goes, well, let me tell you what happened. 
God gave Cornelius a vision. God gave me a vision. And he goes through the whole story. And, and after he shares what all happened in verse 18 of chapter 11, the scripture says when they heard this, they were silenced and they praised God, saying, then God has given even the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. You see, the point of the scripture is, is that God so loved the world and for the message to be carried out to the world, for the, the, the good news to be carried out to the world, sometimes we have to get rid of our stuff so that God can then work. And Peter had to deal with his stuff. And Cornelius had to deal with his stuff. Will Willimon. The scholar says in his commentary on Acts, he said, both Cornelius and Peter need changing if God's mission is to go forward. It it took both of them to start looking at the other one differently. If God's message is going to go forward. For some reason, though, we, we human beings tend to group up. I know when I was when I was a kid, you know, I we we just we had clubs as kids. I mean, we, we we create this little club, and you had to know the password, or you had to go through some right to be part of the club. And you know the thing about a club? It's no fun to be a club if you're not keeping somebody out. <laughs> so we create us and thems. When I was in college, my my college degree was in sociology with a concentration in religion before I went into seminary. And that was to try to figure out why do people do what people do? I mean, we, we tend to put people in groups. We do even do it in churches. We do it in churches to where, you know, there are the long-term families that have always been here and then there's the new people. My brother, several years ago, left our home community, gets married, moves off, and, and he's only about you know, 30 minutes away from where we grew up, but he joined a, a little church, where, Methodist church, in the area where he lives, and he's been a member there for about 25 years, but you hear him talk, he's still one of the new people. I'm going, one of the new people? You've been there 25 years. He goes, yeah, but... I'm not one of the establishing families. I'm not part of those establishing families that started the church and they let you know periodically you're one of the new people. (laughs) Wow. When we lived up at Lake Norman, you had three groups of people. You had the pre-Lake people. Those are the people who lived there before you know Duke Energy created the dam and flooded the area and made Lake Norman. So you had the pre-Lake people. Then you had the Lake people. The lake people were the people who moved up in the 70s to get out of Charlotte, move around beautiful Lake Norman, a little quieter area. And then you got the new people, and that's the people who just took Charlotte to Lake Norman. You know who has a problem with the new people? It's the lake people. It's not the pre-lake people, because the pre-lake people have made millions off of both of the other groups. The problem is often with the lake people not happy about the new people. And, and, and I'm going to run a risk here because there's somebody here who was a member of that church at one time and, and, and he, may, he may get on to me. But what was interesting there is that we, we had this conversation one time. I was talking to these people and I could hear them complaining about it. And I said, you know, isn't that kind of funny how hypocritical we can be? And, 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 and maybe that's why I'm their former pastor now that I think about it. <laughs> And so, you know, they, what do you mean? And I said, well, what's interesting is, is that 
you know, when the lake was formed, this group moves up to Lake Norman and, and all of a sudden we double or triple the population. We double or triple the population is there. And now new people are moving in who are doubling and tripling the population now. But they're not doing anything different than the lake people did when they moved up there years ago and doubled or tripled. And, and, and why is it different now? I mean, our, our, sometimes we want to go, I want to move up there, but then close the gate behind me. And we tend to group and we look at people differently and we're insiders and we're outsiders. Now, sometimes it's just kind of fun annoyances that we talk about, complaining about the traffic or whatever, but sometimes it gets ugly. When I was in high school, 16 years of age, I drove a bus. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? But I drove, I drove a bus, the high school bus. I drove the bus. People put their kids in a bus behind me at 16 years of age. I mean, that says a lot about the principal. It says a lot about the parents. I mean, this is some of the craziest stuff you ever heard. Now, they did set the governors on the buses where they would only run about 35. Unless you kicked them out of gear going downhill. But I remember, I mean, I had two choices. I was either going to ride the bus for 45 minutes or I could drive the bus for an hour and get paid for it. So I drove the bus. But I'll never forget. As a matter of fact, when I drive up Highway 115 now and go by this certain street, the memory always comes back to me about what I saw one morning. I made the turn in the bus to head up to pick up some more students and saw the remnants of a cross that had been burned the night before in somebody's yard. And I remember asking my parents, why do some people hate other people that they don't even know just because they look different? Why do some people hate other people that they don't even know just because they look different? And I've yet to get a good answer. When I was in Cuba, it was interesting, you know, visiting with some of our folks that have been there numerous times with missions from this church and one of the things that's interesting there is that you have people from a variety of different places that, that once the revolution took place, they were kind of trapped there in Cuba. And there are different skin colors, there are different dialects, there are different things, you know, but nobody really seems to care. And so I was talking to Willie Santiago about it one day. He was our missionary there who grew up there in Cuba. And I said, you know, why is it that, that here you just don't seem to have the issues that we have in other places in our world? And he goes, well... Here, everybody's poor. Here, we're all in the same boat. So therefore, we all help each other because that's the only way we're going to survive. Huh. It's interesting, too, how sometimes when we have the us's and the them's, we always assume we're the us. Sometimes we're the them. One time I was at a, a gathering of my extended family, and I say this confessionally and embarrassingly at the same time. And this gathering was this extended gathering, large group of people, and I heard some of the younger generation talking a little bit about another group of people that they didn't know anything about, but making some 
some you know speculations and some comments that were inappropriate and and so I just said to them y'all are about the ignorant most ignorant people I've ever met you know I'm beginning to see a pattern here I said something to my previous church I'm no longer there I said something to my family and I had to move here I mean I'm not really sure what's happening here but... what do you mean by that and I said well first of all you don't know any of the people that you're talking about so that makes absolutely no sense but you want to know what's really hypocritical about it? What? Well, our family has a tendency at times to be proud of the fact that we're one-eighth Cherokee. Yeah? Well, have you ever stopped to think how we got to be one-eighth of something? Have you ever thought about what that said about great-grandma and great-grandpa? And have you ever stopped to think that that meant at some point somebody probably sat around the table talking about our family like you're sitting around the table talking about somebody else's? And Peter said, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Because unless you're Jewish, you're one of the Gentiles. And thank God, He offered Christ even to us. So Peter then has the aha moment. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. I, I get it. I get it. And that in every nation, every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now our challenge is, is to start seeing other people as God sees other people as people that he loved enough to die for. As people that God loved enough. Whether they're from Jerusalem or Caesarea or Joppa or Weddington, he loved enough to die for. Or as Martin Luther said, Baptism is a rite that only takes a few minutes to do. But a lifetime to finish. 